Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 9th, 2018. On today's episode, we'll talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers Y Trenbui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. Okay, guys, it's uh, it's been a week with the holiday and, and such. And in, in L.A., it's been a heat wave. I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but uh, I, it's been upwards of 120 degrees. So it's been insane. But uh, before we get to me and Ben, let's, let's talk about Jacob. Jacob, what have you been up to? Because uh, you weren't here last week, right? Yeah, I was, uh, wasn't on the podcast, and I was off and on at work because I was battling the cold from hell. Uh, hacking, coughing, puking, nausea, fever, you name it. I, it may have even been the flu at one point. We're not sure. But it reduced me to a uh, quivering mess. <laughs> I had me uh, essentially trying to do all my work in the mornings and saying to Peter and Ben, please run the site without me before collapsing in bed. <laughs> so that was most of my last week uh, was me in and out of a coding haze of trying to like not wake myself up with coughing. Uh, and then that was most of my weekend as well. My weekend, the highlight of my weekend was going to Home Depot and looking at light fixtures to install new light fixtures in my hallways because the builder grade ones came with a new house are no good. So that's that was the highlight of it all. But that's how that's how awful my last week was, Peter. I was in so much pain and I was hacking so much and wanted to die so often that looking at light fixtures was is the most exciting thing I can tell you about right now. Wow, when adulting is the highlight of your week that's that's the problem um i also did some adulting over the week uh there is a uh in my bedroom by the way guys uh owning a house is not as glamorous as it as it is said to be um not that i own a house i i, I own a condo and by that i mean i'm paying off a condo for the next 25 years of my life um but in uh, my bedroom, I woke up one morning and I saw we have, like, these fire sprinklers that, like, are recessed into the ceiling. So there's, like, this cap. And around that cap, there was a, like, brown stain. It looked like, you know, a water stain. So uh, last week, my, my last week was spent trying to find a plumber who could come and cut open my ceiling and take a look at that. Uh, by the way... If you ever need, at least in California, you need someone, a plumber, to take a look at a sprinkler, a fire sprinkler. Uh, they have to be, like, super certified. And there's, like, very it's, – it's much harder to find someone who is certified in that because it's a more complicated process. And uh, what happened is I, I paid a guy to come over, uh, $150, cut a hole in my ceiling, and to tell me that there was no water up there. And they couldn't tell where the, where the leak came from. So – uh, so I spent $150, spent a lot of my week trying to find a plumber and I know nothing and I have a hole in my ceiling now. 
ones. I you know, I go to sleep laying in bed looking at the hole. Um, yeah, and I have no idea what's causing uh, what caused that uh, stain, but um, they said to look out to see if uh, it grows. I guess the, that that is the next uh, course of action. Anyways, I know that's not exciting to listen to, uh, but it is adulting. I did find um, I did find the wonders of this app called uh, Offer Up. Have you have you any of you guys heard about this? No, no. But you were t- you were raving about to me on Slack the other day about how much how useful it was. Yes, um, I guess. By the way, I, you know, I don't know anything about this, but I guess. Uh, apparently Craigslist has got, like become almost useless nowadays. I haven't been on there in years, but I guess they took out the personals and there was like a whole FBI raid on, uh, on, um, prostitution and like other areas, not to Craigslist, but they shut, th- shut down all that. Uh, and apparently just no one's using Craigslist because Craigslist never built a proper app. But there is this app called OfferUp, which I have been using. This is not a uh, paid endorsement of any way. It is basically where you can list uh, items you want to sell on this app. And it's to list them for, like, people in your local area, surrounding area. And uh, I have a lot – like you, Jacob, I have a lot of board games. And I've been trying to do a cull of my board games because uh, board games take up a lot of room. And uh, there's some board games I, I just know I'm never going to play again. So I've been trying to, you know, get rid of some of the board games uh, that are taking up this valuable space. Um, and uh, for something like eBay, board games is not a good thing because you got to pay like 15 to $20 to ship these things. So uh, not many people want to pay that much uh, for, you know, a $15 game or whatever it's worth at that point, uh, you know, open and used. Uh, so anyways, I've listed uh, a lot of board games on offer up. And over the last week I've had people, you know, just show up to my house and I don't have to go to the post office. I don't have to whatever, you know, and they just hand me cash. And, um, it's a, I don't know. I highly recommend it. If you're looking to get rid of anything, that's probably not easily, you know, shippable, uh, offer up has, has been great so far. I've had nothing, uh, but, good experiences and actually one person contacted me and wanted to uh was interested in buying my whole lot of board games so uh so that was great um but yeah anyways uh i I know this is probably not the most interesting water cooler segment of them all uh ht uh why don't you tell us what you've been up to so on Friday, I was very excited to use my movie pass uh, to see Leave No Trace, which is the new Ben Foster movie. But I was rudely thwarted by my from my uh, Friday movie night when my movie pass app was not working. And I thought at first maybe my service wasn't there, but I had four bars and I was like, what's going on? And then I noticed as I was looking around uh, around me outside of the movie theater I was at, uh, there were at least a dozen other people who were similarly staring at their phones in frustration and angrily swiping at their screens. And I realized that this was a nationwide issue, or at least a widespread issue with MoviePass, in which there was an outage in the app, um, which happened to fall on the weekend of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp opening day and um, the weekend in which the app was supposed to roll out its divisive um, price surging feature. So I feel like that might have had something to do with each other. It was very annoying and I ended up not going to see a movie that night because uh, I don't think the app was up and running again until around 10 p.m. Eastern time that night. So it was about four hours later and a lot of people end up just buying tickets on their own or just not going to see a movie like me. And I guess MoviePass says that they're refunding or going to fund anybody that saw a movie that night and were not able to use the app. Um, but yes. So anyone who bought a ticket of uh, from their own pocket can send their ticket receipt to MoviePass and get a reimbursement, essentially. But will anybody actually get reimbursed? Because I know people who are <laughs> waiting on waiting on reimbursements from MoviePass for like six months to a year for, uh, and just haven't gotten them. So uh, I would love to hear if anybody actually gets reimbursed MoviePass. That's a question. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've gotten a lot of flack because we used to be the official movie po- uh, MoviePass podcast, quote unquote. And uh, we've been pretty negative about MoviePass recently. And people are wondering why. And I th- I think it's just like the tide has turned, right? Like it, it, it feels like – what do you think, HD? I mean you're, you're, well, you're still a subscriber. You have like a year, right? 
I have a year on me and I'm not paying for it because it was a gift. So I'm happily on the movie pass train until they run out of money. And I think it's a great deal for what for if you have it for now. But yeah, it's just that reporting on all this and seeing all of their strange and sort of baffling business choices doesn't give me a lot of um uh trust in them, I guess you would say. So it's it's more of the sense in like what it's more confusion and like what are they doing are they meaning to be like a train a business train wreck essentially uh rather than just like outright hate because it is a good deal in the end and while we have all been doing uninteresting adulting things and not getting to get see the movies that we wanted to see brad has been picking strawberries heck yeah i have um i had a couple days off last week after the fourth of july it was nice to just get away and not have to worry about the rigmarole of movie news or anything like that. Uh, and since my girlfriend was in town, um, she had never been to like an orchard to go like strawberry picking before, and like that's uh, it's a good time to do that right now. So we went to this place called Garwood Orchards, that's about ten minutes away from where I live. Picked some strawberries; they were delicious and awesome. And then we also had these awesome apple cider slushies which were so cool and tasty and refreshing that like i just want one all the time now um but yeah like getting fresh strawberries from an orchard is just is awesome they're just so good and they're they're even better than when you get them from the grocery store and part of it maybe just comes from the fact that you know you actually pick them yourself so they just taste that much better let's move on to what we've been reading jacob what have you been reading uh, I haven't been reading many books because of the whole being sick in bed thing, but I've been reading a lot of articles uh, on my phone. And the one that I want to share with you is one that was uh, shared on Twitter by Don Winslow, the writer of The Cartel and other excellent novels. And it feels like it could have been one of his books, this sort of, sort of a lurid crime thriller based in reality. And it's called uh, – it's written for the Men's Journal uh, by Staten Bonner. And the headline is The Legend of John Arthur, the Toughest Man in America. And – it starts off essentially as a profile of um, John Arthur, this guy who's known for being a prolific boxing trainer. If you have a problematic fighter, a fighter who's undisciplined or unwieldy or needs like a really firm hand, he's the guy to do it. He's like this extremely tough, strong, respected boxing trainer. Uh, but the question is, how did he get here? And the story of his life is straight up insane and feels like if his life rights have an option for a movie about, after this article, I don't know what's up with Hollywood because he's born in 1950. Family flees racism after his father kills a man in self-defense. Raised working in a restaurant where he is recruited by a uh, Greek criminal who trains him in martial arts so so they can travel around the world competing in literal death matches in Asia and Europe. And so as a teenager, he's traveling the world fighting to the death (laughs) for money and pulling his family out of poverty. And then he learns more martial arts, becomes a cop, becomes the FBI agent becomes like the most prolific uh, undercover agent in the FBI in the South, just taking on all kinds of drug dealers and criminal organizations and getting shot and getting stabbed and getting shot in the head and still walking away from it. And then eventually retiring to um, provide security on movie sets because his best friend, one of his best friends from back home was Mr. T who said, come leave this life behind and come work security on the A-team. So it's just this guy's, it's a genuinely like I, my jaw kept on dropping further and further while I was reading it because it felt unreal. It was like an HBO show reading this thing. Well, I'm sure HBO will be making an adaptation of this article next year. <laughs> um, HT, what have you been reading? So I started reading The Bonesetter's Daughter by Amy Tan because I had bought this book, I don't know, several, many several years ago. And I had realized I never read it or had read any Amy Tan books. So I decided to pick it up because one of my favorite things to do in the summer is to lay by the pool, read, and fall asleep. So I did that uh, and uh, read, started reading Bonesetter's Daughter, which is a um, novel about the relationship between an American-born Chinese woman and her immigrant mother who uh, came over to the U.S. around 30-some 30, 30 years ago. And it's sort of this intergenerational story uh, that has like the sort of mysticism, mysticism to it because uh, the mother's story of her childhood is kind of um, embedded in this uh, sort of myth- mythic uh, folklore about a bonesetter who um, 
I actually haven't gotten that far yet, so I'm not really sure exactly who the Bone Zetter is, but it ha- it's tied very much into like Chinese folklore, and it's a really interesting sort of jumping back and forth between uh, new and older generation, which is something that I hear is common with Amy Tan books. I haven't read the Joy Luck Club either, so I'm sorry about that, people who are Joy Luck Club fans, but I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I really like Amy Tan's writing style. It's just so, it's so easy to read and very comforting, I think I would say. Um, so, uh, yeah. I'm liking it a lot so far. Well, interesting. You'll have to report back after you have finished that book and tell us uh, how it was. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to what we've been watching over the weekend. I binge watched Barry on HBO. This is the series uh, created by Bill Hader. It is about a hitman from the Midwest who moves to Los Angeles and gets caught up in the city's theater arts scene. Um, it's, uh, you know, it stars Bill Hader. Uh, some of the best episodes are directed, uh, by Hero Murray of, uh, of Atlanta fame. Um, it's, uh, it's very interesting because, you know, it's this guy, it's like a hitman who has been like living his whole life kind of not being in touch with his feelings. And it's kind of like putting him in this environment where you have, uh, Henry Winkler, uh, is the the head of this like a uh, uh, theater group kind of like for you know actors and in, in Los Angeles uh, it, I, I guess it's for plays but all these actors are reading like monologues from movies and stuff and um, it's interesting because it's almost being used as like this is a therapy session for him to be able to get in touch with his feelings uh, it is a comedy but it's uh you know, not kind of a laugh out loud uh, comedy. It's more darkly funny. It's you know, it's not like Silicon Valley in that sense. Um, but it's 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 uh, it's cool because it's you know, it's um, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's it's a really hard to describe show because it's unlike anything else I think on television. Uh, I guess you know, it's not television. It's HBO, but. Um, uh, I would highly recommend it to everybody. I, I binge watched it. The episodes are thirty minutes. I think there's ten of them, so that means it's a five hour watch. We we did it in one sit, and uh, it was uh, very enjoyable. I highly recommend it. Um, and that is Barry on HBO. And I also over the weekend uh, got to watch uh, Sharp Objects. Sorry, uh, on HBO, another HBO show. I've been, so I've been doing a lot of HBO watching over the weekend. And Sharp Objects is uh, a show uh, written by uh, what's her name the, the 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 author of Gone Girl, Jillian Jill- Flynn. Yes, I, I I wish I had my notes in front of me here. Uh, I apologize, uh, but it is uh, it is great. Amy Adams is incredible. I mean, that's not like an, a revelation of any kind. I think like you know we we know that already. But this show is, you know, evidence of them, further evidence of that. Um, it's just she, she just does such a great job of or this show just does such a great job of uh, a sense of place in town and building this small town world. It's about a reporter who goes back to her hometown where uh, two girls have been have gone missing. And she's kind of, uh, you know, doing a piece on that uh, against her will. She does. She does not want to be back in her hometown. Uh, my only complaint about the show is it kind of does these like not flashbacks, but flashes as like, you know, she's like driving down the road and she'll see flashes of her like uh, self as a kid. But like like really just, you know, milliseconds of flashes and it's kind of distracting and annoying. Uh, Chris, I know that you watched more than just this episode. Uh, what did you think of Sharp Objects? Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen every episode except the last. The last episode was not made available, um, and I loved it. It's uh, phenomenal. I actually, those flashes you were just talking about are some of my favorite things about the show. Oh, really? I just love Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's a, just a really interesting visual quirk that the show has where it's a way of, you know, sort of giving you more background into Amy Adams's character without like just spelling it out. And, you know, you get more of those as the show progresses, but it's, it's great. It's just a a great dark, uh, Southern Gothic sort of show. And Amy Adams is 
as usual, fantastic. This might be her best performance, and that's saying a lot because she's pretty much great in everything, but she's really good in this. Yeah, and it, it's really compelling. I'm going to be watching this. Uh, and I should also mention, you know, I've had AMC Stubbs A-list for two weeks now. I have yet to see a movie. And this weekend, it wasn't without trying. I was going to see a movie at AMC Theaters, but as it turns out, guys, there is a flaw to this whole A-list uh, program, and that is that you have to want to see a movie at an AMC theater. And by that, I'm not uh, disparaging AMC theaters. I mean, I'm basically saying the selection of movies at AMC theaters is kind of slim. You know, within like, you know, a 10 mile uh, radius of my home, I, I was looking and, you know, almost every AMC theater was showing Ant-Man, Jurassic World, uh Incredibles, you know, you know, all the big movies that I've already seen, but the movies I, you know, want to see were not playing at any of these AMC theaters. So, uh, you know, so this, so this program is already, uh, you know, I guess, uh, changing my decision making process because instead of you know going out to a theater like the ArcLight to see, sorry to bother you, uh, I didn't because that would be spending money when I have this this past that gets me to you know see, see movies at every every amc theater i'm hoping that a movie like that will eventually come to amc theaters under their indie program probably not i'll, I'll probably end up paying money to see it um but i i think that is an interesting aspect to these movie subscription services that you know a lot of people don't talk about it really does influence you know I think how people go see movies or what movies they don't go see because of it. Uh, but let's move on to you, Jacob. Jacob, you saw a bunch of movies over the weekend. Uh, what did you see? Well, I finally managed to crawl out of the house uh, late Saturday night to see Ant-Man the Wasp, and I really enjoyed it. I think that it is well calculated on Marvel's part to follow up the uh, heaviness of Infinity War with such a light, friendly, nice movie. The kind of movie where the two villains... One of them is not even a villain, and the other one is so goofy and cartoonish, he's, not, he's barely a threat. It's just this really nice time of the movies. Like, someone on Twitter uh, compared to Paddington 2 in a weird way, and that's a movie where everybody ultimately uh, wants to be nice to each other and gets along, even in the conflict feels very, very limited in scope. And, that's, and I don't, I don't want to say that's a bad thing. That's a really good thing. It's like you can have these movies in Marvel Universe where, they, where worlds are ending and people are dying, and you have Ant-Man and the Wasp where... It's essentially this charming Looney Tunes cartoon, and I had a really good time with it. I mean, it's not high-quality cinema, but Marvel never has been. It's been about executing these uh, extremely entertaining popcorn movies full of characters that we love watching, and I really enjoyed it. And I also got around to finally watching Coco after putting it off for many, many months. And Coco was the first Pixar movie I skipped in theaters, I think, ever. Why? And I don't know. I, nothing about it drew me. Nothing about it grabbed me, and... And I don't know if it was the marketing's fault or it was my fault. And it was just one of those cases where every time I thought about seeing it, I said, oh, I'll see it next week. I'll see it next week. I'll see it next week. I kept putting it off. And then just, then it was gone. And my, my wife wanted to try out some animation for our 4K TV. So we went out and blind bought the 4K uh, Blu-ray and we put it on. And Coco was really good. Uh, I feel really bad for skipping in theaters. It's a really charming, funny movie. And and that third act in true Pixar fashion comes out of nowhere and just gut punches you. And uh, I, don't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't up cry. I didn't like do the upper inside, uh, inside out levels of crying during Coco. But I definitely got, definitely got pretty dusty in my living room. Uh, I definitely get, get the tears rolling. And that's just a really good movie. And I, I like how it, its attention to detail on both its world building and its attempt to uh, pay tribute to a culture that doesn't always get its due on the big screen. Uh, and finally, uh, after editing uh, Chris's uh, review of Glow Season 2 and seeing all the praise for the show, I finally started watching Glow Season 1. And I'm about eight episodes into the first season, and that's another really good show. It's, uh, I'd say it's, up, it's, like, it's like BoJack Horseman uh, and a handful of other Netflix shows in that each episode actually feels like it's paced right. The season feels like it's the right length. I, I am always hesitant to try a new Netflix show because... I don't know why. I'm assuming it's because people on Netflix may not have the discipline or experience of running a TV network because they don't know how to tell a showrunner, hey, your pacing's off. But almost every single Netflix show runs too long. It's paced really strangely. Everything feels lethargic. 
Uh, but Glow is paced just about right. And as somebody who's always um, found the world of wrestling interesting, found, found it fascinating without actually watching wrestling, uh, seeing the sort of insider's perspective uh, in this 80s set female wrestling league has been really interesting and really uh, fun to watch. And uh, and I know that, um, Peter, you're also a Glow fan, right? We talked about this last week on the podcast. Uh, I, I just binge-watched season two last week. And uh, if you think season one is good, season two is like a next level of good. It's uh, the pa- You're right. The pacing's great. Uh, it, season one, I feel like it was trying uh i liked more of the drama than the comedy but i think season two gets both aspects of that right well as 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 a sick person i missed your responses last week so thank you for humoring me there peter (laughs) yeah um let's move on to ben ben what were you watching this past week yeah so i had uh as you mentioned peter it's been incredibly hot in la so i've basically been locked in my apartment because i didn't want to burst into flames stepping out of my front door so i've watched a bunch of movies um i watched set it up which we talked about the the uh, romantic comedy on netflix uh i thought it was just as enjoyable as i thought it was going to be from all of the marketing and the way that uh, the film was received by the uh film twitter community um you know again just sort of like uh, jacob was saying with ant-man and the wasp it's not high art it's very formulaic but uh i really enjoy both of the leads which is uh, glenn powell and um Zoe Deutsch, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Uh, and even the supporting players are all really good. Minus Pete Davidson, who was like fine, but strangely cast as one of the gay best friends of one of the characters. I thought that was a really weird choice. But uh, anyway, it's it's sort of a disposable movie, but it, it's great background watching. And um, and, you know, it, it like HT was saying, if. Uh, Hollywood as an industry cared about romantic comedies in the same way that they did, you know, 20 years ago. I think everyone involved in this movie would have a bright future, you know, continuing to make films just like this one. Um, I also don't really want to see a sequel as much as I do want to see those same people reunite. So maybe uh, Zoe Deutsch and, uh, and Glenn Powell will be like this generation's, um, I don't know, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or something where they keep uh, popping up uh, opposite each other in a romantic leads. That would be fun for me to see. Um, did anybody else have a chance to see Set It Up? Did anybody else uh, see this movie after we've been talking about it? No, no, I, I still nobody. have not. Uh, HG saw it, right? Because she talked yeah, about it. Yeah, it's fun, guys. Go see it. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, moving on. I also saw two movies that starred uh, Tyrone Power, and I don't know if I knew who that was before this weekend, um, but he was a apparently a, a huge movie star in like the late 30s all the way through to like the 50s. And uh, one of them is The Mark of Zorro, which is um, one of many, many, many Zorro movies that have been made over the years. But this one was from 1940 and um i am a big fan of the mask of zorro which is the uh the one with antonio banderas that came out in like the late 90s and i have seen that movie so many times over the years that i basically have it committed to memory not line by line but uh you know every big major set piece i know that movie pretty well so watching the mark of zorro from 1940 it was it was strange seeing how much uh, they took from that movie and incorporated it into this Banderas version later on. Um, I haven't seen too many action films from 1940. I'm, I recently watched uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn for the first time, so I'm start, starting to dive into that era of like ac- quote-unquote action filmmaking. And um, there's like some cool sword fights, and I, I like the movie a lot. If you know anything about Zorro, if you've seen a Zorro movie, I think there's a lot to like with this film. And Tyrone Power is pretty great. So then, so that came out in 1940, and then in 1950. He made a movie called Witness for the Prosecution, which I also watched. And that one, both of these movies actually were on uh, Turner Classic Movies. I DVR'd them. So if anybody's looking to watch them. So it's just a coincidence that you saw these two movies? Yeah, yeah, it was weird. So I, I both had I had them both on my DVR, and I had no idea that Tyrone Power was the lead or a lead in both of the films. And so we, my wife and I watched Mark of Zorro, and then we were like flipping through the list of things on the DVR to see what else to watch. And I saw Witness for the Prosecution, which is based on an Agatha Christie short story that was then turned into a really, really successful play. And uh, we saw that Tyrone Power also starred in that movie. And I was like, well, screw it. We're making this a Tyrone Power weekend. Let's do this so uh witness for the prosecution is really really solid it's the kind of movie it reminded me a lot of like dial m for murder those sort of classic um really heavily plotted but uh and like intricately plotted um movies from 
the 1950s that um, are so satisfying in the way that everything just clicks into place. And I, they don't really make movies like this very much anymore. Films where, um, you know, everything that we watch now, uh, courtroom dramas and stuff like that, it, it's all, it all seems so predictable and so by the numbers. But this movie has a lot of surprises, especially in the last few minutes. It sort of twists and turns, you know, throws things, throws curveballs into the equation uh, that I really appreciated. You sort of think the movie is going one way for a majority of it, and then it fakes you out. Um, so I, I would highly recommend Witness for the Prosecution, if anybody's never seen that one. It's a, it's a really satisfying uh, film. Charles Lawton is also in that one, if anybody's a, a fan of these old school actors that I'm talking about here. And then finally, I watched uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which uh, I'm preparing for Mission Impossible Fallout. So I'm excited to uh, to see that movie. And I wish I would have had time to, um, you know, marathon all of the Mission Impossible movies before my screening, which is on Wednesday. But I, I don't think I'm going to have time to do that. So I just wanted to catch up with the most recent one. I think Rogue Nation came out in 2015. Uh, this was the first entry directed by Chris McCory, who's coming back to direct Fallout. And I remember when I first saw this in theaters thinking like, oh, yeah, that movie's fine. Like, I, I think I liked Ghost Protocol a little bit more. Um, when I walked out of the theater uh, and rewatching Rogue Nation, I have completely changed my mind. I really, really like this movie a lot. I think it's much better than Ghost Protocol. Um, and really? I know, I know that I'm not the only one on this podcast that uh, that thinks that. We were just talking about this in our Slack channel earlier. Uh, Chris, you think this one's the best movie in the series? Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's even like a question of it. And anyone who thinks otherwise is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I still like uh, a good bit of the other movies. I, I will go to bat for Mission Impossible 2 when not that many people will. Um, and I enjoy 3. Wait, wait. Well, why will you go to bat for Mission Impossible 2? Like, what do you like oh, about it's, that movie? It's, it's John Woo at his John Wooiest. It, and, and it's like he and Tom Cruise are a perfect match for like this sort of um, hyper stylized uh, almost like melodrama mixed with action and just the idea of Tom Cruise running around with dual pistols and pigeons floating around or doves floating around in the background and like the motorcycle uh, fight scene at the end is so ludicrous but there are uh, there's a lot of good stuff in that movie that I think people tend to forget about so um, I you know I, I I will absolutely defend and plus Tandy Newton I mean that was like her breakout performance and she has been yeah. doing some amazing stuff ever since so um, you know it's worth it for that alone I think but uh, I, I feel like people should go back and rewatch Mission Impossible 2 if they haven't seen it since it came out because I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there but anyway yeah rogue nation um that is a hell of a, of a movie and rebecca ferguson is so good in that movie she seems like she's been a part of this franchise forever even though rogue nation was the her first you know introduction into this uh this film series so i'm very much looking forward to uh seeing her and uh, tom cruise and simon Pegg and the whole team reunite in uh in fallout later this week See, I, I think I need to revisit this on home video because I, I like you, saw it in the theater. I thought it was uh, good, but not great. Like, I feel like for me, it's either Mission Impossible 4 or 3 are my favorite. 4 because of, you know, those epic uh, action tentpole sequences, mm -hmm. which even pre presented in IMAX for just incredible. 3 because it has the best villain of the entire series, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman, and it uh, also it's the only one of the series that got me to care about the characters and it's just so jj jj abrams-esque and it's like kind of alias kind of set up uh it's just so good um but i feel like rogue nation for me the ending is kind of a bummer and uh it just doesn't come together there's not not like i love the action sequence at the opera but it isn't what i want from the series i want you know what what ridiculous thing can Tom Cruise actually be doing the stunts for? And I and and he did do the stunts for the that sequence at the end of the film where he did the underwater thing. It was supposed to be shot and presented in one take because he actually like held his breath for like something like four minutes or something to do that mm -hmm. sequence. But it's presented with cuts, so it's not impressive at all and it has like a lot of CG. It just doesn't look I don't know. That's my I, on it. I totally understand where you're coming from, but I, I really do think it benefits from a second watch at home because um, I think the reason I, re I really like Rogue Nation a lot is because it has, you know, while Ghost Protocol has that really amazing Burj Khalifa sequence, it has a couple of those big action moments, but there's not that much to tie them together. And I think Rogue Nation sustains 
this perfect balance between awesome action sequences all the way throughout. There's a really terrific motorcycle chase scene in that film as well. And the character stuff that works so well in this, in these uh, movies when the filmmakers take the time to, to actually care about that. And it feels like Chris McQuarrie actually cares about the characters in these movies. Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend giving it another shot before you see fallout, Peter. I definitely will. Um, let's move on from mission impossible. Uh, Chris, tell us about predator two. Uh, yes, as as has been mentioned several times uh, during this podcast, there's a heat wave going on in L.A. And I'm not in L.A., but uh, a lot of people I follow on Twitter are, and they kept referencing uh, Predator 2 because Predator 2 is set in L.A. during a heat wave in the futuristic year of 1997. And I hadn't seen Predator 2 in a very long time, and I saw it was on HBO Go and I needed a distraction, so I said, I'm going to watch Predator 2, and I did. And uh, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. It's nowhere near what the first movie is, but it's its its own really weird, gritty, kind of nasty thing. And it took the franchise in a really weird, different direction that I don't think anyone appreciated at the time, but uh, I feel like, uh, in retrospect, I wish the series had become more inventive like this film, where, uh, you know, the subsequent sequels weren't just trying to remake the original, but that just seems like what they've been doing. Every every Predator sequel since has been attempting to recapture what the first film did, and I don't think you can really ever do that. What else have you been watching? And I also rewatched A Quiet Place because I got that on Blu-ray. And I won't talk too much about that because I feel like we've talked about that endlessly. But that movie, man, that really holds up. That is a, a tightly wound, well-written, emotional film. And I'm very impressed by it. I was actually more impressed by it during this rewatch than I was when I first saw it. So good work, John Krasinski, wherever you are. So, HT, you didn't get to see Leave No Trace because of your movie pass, but you did get to see some movies at home. What did you get to see? Yeah, well, I actually went to the theater to see uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I thoroughly enjoyed as well, more so than I thought I would because uh, it's just so, it's just so more, I don't know. It's the it's so first, much fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. Peyton Reed, I think, has a better eye for directing a lot of the sequences, the action sequences in this film. And it's just much more an energetic and kinetic. Uh, and Paul Rudd is just Paul Rudding all over the place, being charming. And though some of the subplots with the villains and don't really cohere as well, it's just a very entertaining and nice film, like Jacob was saying. Actually, in reference to what you were talking about earlier with Paddington 2, with um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, it there's like a sort of term floating around called nice core and I which is kind of like this new trend of films that are just nice warm-hearted uh, optimistic films and I feel like Ant-Man and the Wasp really feels like a nice core film just there's not that much conflict really the snake the stakes feel small but in that they actually feel quite huge so that was the first movie I saw in theaters and then the next day I went to see Sorry to Bother You, which is another film I loved every minute of. Uh, it was definitely a lot wilder and a lot weirder than I could have ever expected. So I remember when I first heard about it, uh, Ben was raving about it from his Sundance review. Uh, I thought it would be sort of like this similar to Get Out and that it was like social commentary and uh, commentary about race in this sort of more fantastical sense. But there's a lot more magical realism in this film than I knew of, and it's just it goes just bonkers uh, in in a sense. There's like there's a twist at the end that I can't spoil, but it really sort of sets up this film for a really strange and gonzo third act that you will not you will not anticipate when you go to the theaters. <laughs> I, it's a, it's a great film, and I really liked it. And um, Boots Riley is a new director that I'm really excited to see the rest of his career from from here on now. Uh, so other things that I watched this weekend was from home. I saw My Hero Academia, which is an anime that I've been hearing a lot of hype for recently. And I finally decided to pick it up because it's currently airing its third season on Crunchyroll.com. And it's really fun. It's sort of this um, superhero story uh, that follows that's set in this world where everyone a, a large portion of people are born with superpowers and um, the people who are born with, with powers are kind of elevated to this sort of higher 
uh, status and often go to school to train their powers and sort of like a twist off of X-Men, but there's none of the the animosity towards people with heroes. In fact, there's more of a worship factor going on. And while there's a lot of comparisons to X-Men that you can draw, it's more sort of slapsticky and goofy uh, and just a lot of fun, really entertaining. Uh, and um, I have, I'm only four episodes in, but it's definitely a really great anime to dive into if you are a comic book fan, I think. Uh, it has the same sort of uh, really fast, energetic style that you can see in Dragon Ball Z or Naruto, and it's very accessible. But it's also it gets a little bit funky and kind of and fun and kind of silly towards some parts. But I I really enjoy it so far and I highly recommend it. Uh, next, I saw um, watched a lot of stuff this weekend. I also watched Over the Garden Wall, which is something my friend uh, has been recommending me for the past four years now, and I finally got around to watching it. And Over the Garden Wall is an animated uh, mini series from 2014 created by Patrick McHale that was based actually off a short film that he made and it's a story about two brothers who get lost in this strange fantastical world and end up running into all sorts of weird creatures and creepy circumstances it also has a sort of dose of magical realism and uh it has uh vein it's in the vein sort of of um a lot of Miyazaki films. It has that sort of whimsy that you can see in Spirited Away. And I really enjoyed it. I thought at first it would just be a, a regular fairy tale series, but it's it's really good and really surreal and um, beautifully animated, uh, even if the characters themselves are kind of in the modern Cartoon Network style of being a little blocky. Uh, everything else is really gorgeously done. And I, I liked it a lot. Um, so that was a random thing that I watched. Uh, and then I also finally saw... Sharp Objects, which was, uh, I also watched that this this weekend, uh, the first episode, and I really liked how gothic it was. Uh, that was, it was, it felt like something that um, was very inspired by the V.C. Andrews books, Flowers in the Attic, which was this, which is a sort of a family melodrama with a twist of um, I can't spoil it for you, but it has, um, it's very disturbing and uh, slightly perverse uh, sort of take on the gothic novel. And um, Patricia, Patricia Clarkson's character, uh, specifically in um, Sharp Objects, feels like she's stepped right out of an Emily Bronte book because she's just swanning around in a nightgown the entire time and emotionally abusing Amy Adams' character. And I really like how dreamlike and surreal it is. I also agree with Chris. I, I like a lot the sort of flashes of her past that kind of take place throughout the episode and merge reality and uh, memory quite a bit. So uh, I, I think Sharp Objects is really promising um, it's very slow for the first episode, but I really enjoy it. And I'm very excited to see what else happens. Okay, let's move on to Brad. Brad, did you also see Ant-Man and the Wasp this weekend? I actually saw Ant-Man and the Wasp a while back, but we never got an opportunity to really talk about it because the embargo hadn't lifted yet on those on like reviews or something. And so when we talked about it, I don't think we were, I was able to talk about it yet. Okay, so tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I really in, enjoyed it quite a bit. It's definitely on par with the first film in that it's this you know, self-contained superhero adventure, much like the first one that doesn't really have a lot of connective tissue to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it's I think this one's actually funnier than the first one, and I think it better utilizes the uh, miniature and uh, giant-sized action that comes from the abilities that Ant-Man and the Wasp have. Evangeline Lilly is a great... Uh, addition to the franchise she's just awesome and she's even more of a you know a, a superhero i guess you could say than uh paul rudd's character is which kind of is what makes paul rudd's character i think uh that much more endearing and helps him stand out from the rest of the pack uh when it comes to the characters in the avengers franchises um but yeah i had a good time with it uh the credit scenes are definitely uh, a good addition to the movie as well, and it's um, yeah, it's just it's just a fun movie all around. I, like like Jacob said before, it's just it's it's just a really nice follow up to uh, the heavy handed uh, epic action that was Avengers: Infinity War. What what else have you been watching? Uh, I also saw Save the Last Dance for the first time, 
Wait, you, uh, you never saw that? The movie with, uh, what's her name? Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles, yeah. I haven't heard that name in a long while. Uh, yeah. No, I never. It came out in 2001. Uh, never saw it. wasn't really of interest to me uh, when I was in high school, which is when it came out. Um, I was very well aware of it, knew what it was about, you know, kind of understood like what it, what it was and that kind of thing, but I never actually watched it. And uh, my girlfriend really enjoys that movie. And so since I, I had her watch Jurassic Park for the first time, she had me watch that for the first time. Um, and I, I liked it for the most part. It's pretty much what I expected it to be. You know, this uh, MTV uh, romantic drama uh, where, you know, Julia Stiles plays this young white girl who ends up in this inner city Chicago school and has to you know, work through being part of a school that is pretty much predominantly black and, you know, blends this hip-hop dance style with her own uh, ballet style. And uh, I didn't realize this at the time um, when it came out, but apparently, and th- that I, I realized that I might sound totally stupid and oblivious when I say this, but I didn't realize that when the movie came out at the time that it was kind of a big deal because of the interracial dating aspect of it. Because I remember... Uh, Julia Stiles and Sean Patrick Thomas winning Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards, but I don't think I realized that it was kind of a a breakthrough sort of moment and movie because even though it was 2001, there were still issues with interracial dating and prejudices and, and all that sort of thing. Um, sadly enough, it's the, those are probably prejudices that still exist and problems that people still have to deal with every day but that was something that i wasn't entirely aware of at the time that the movie came out yeah this was the love simon of its day in a way no <laughs> i i haven't seen love simon, so i can't speak to that okay you you were also watching something on tv as well indeed uh since it's summer it is officially big brother season it is the one reality television guilty pleasure that i afford myself uh, i got into it years ago when somebody I know w- watched it and had me watch it with them, and I kind of got hooked on it. Uh, I just like the competition aspect, the the sort of the social strategy mixed with the physical challenges is is really fun. Uh, they definitely do some goofy things, and it's by no means quality substance television, but uh, I, I have a lot of fun watching it. Um, Peter, you're definitely not allowed to razz me because you still watch Survivor and you watch. Season like over and over again, I think. No, 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 no. I've been going back and watching old seasons. I do not watch season. There would be no point to watching (laughs) seasons over and over. Yeah, so you're mixing up me and you're mixing up Survivor and Cobra Kai. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so I haven't gone back to watch any of the older seasons of Big Brother before I I started watching, Um, but I've been I've been enjoying it. it. They're they're just getting really digging into the game now. And there's obviously uh, an array of weird, goofy, laughable personalities, douchebags, and all that kind of thing. So it's uh, it's entertaining enough. Well, well, tell me this, because uh, the interesting thing about Survivor is how the game has kind of evolved over the decades. And also, in new seasons, they will have, you know, survivors from seasons past return to the island. Uh, so, so that's what I, I guess kind of got me interested in revisiting old seasons because it's like, oh, who, who is, you know, Rob from Bo- Rob from Boston or who is, you know, any of these people uh, do in Big Brother? Do they have older, you know, Big Brother season contestants come back? Yeah, they um, it's not often that they bring back old contestants to actually compete in the game. If they do, they're usually contestants who were within at least from, from what I know now are like within the past seasons that I've watched. Like for example, last season they brought back a player who was in the final two from the previous season and he got to play uh, the game again last season. And so every now and then they do that. They bring back old players uh, for like commentary every now and then, or for certain, like to host certain games and that kind of thing. But a lot like survivor too, the game also does change and evolve as seasons have gone on. They always introduce uh, a new theme that like uh, in- introduces new powers, changes the game, really mixes up the basic rules of what Big Brother is and makes the game even more challenging to play because it completely throws off any strategy that, you know, alliances or and players might have in trying to get certain people out of the house. Yeah, I think that that is the the thing that's interesting about these game shows to me is like how how the producers are kind of playing the game by introducing, you know, all these new rules uh, to, you know, change what or combat what might, you know, the contestants might be doing in previous seasons. Uh, but let's move on. And uh, this is going extremely long. So, Brad, please, please tell us uh, briefly what you've been eating. Yeah, so I uh, had, had a few new things that I picked up 
uh, recently and tried out. Um, one of the things that I got was I so originally that giant Jurassic Dorito that I got was going to be part of uh, this the, this podcast thing that I was going to do where myself and my co-host from my podcast will fix yourself and another person were going to <laughs> to eat the giant Dorito. But I decided to hold off on that, and we decided to do something else that's ju- still Jurassic World and Doritos themed. Because I found out that there were these grilled steak flavored Doritos that you can only get in Canada. So I bought a bag on eBay and had it sent to me, and we just tried them yesterday. And um, they're they're actually blue themed, so they're blue corn tortilla chips, and then the seasoning is supposed to make them taste like grilled steak. And they don't really taste like grilled steak; they kind of taste almost like um, like Doritos with steak seasoning, <laughs> kind kind of, but the, the, some of the flavor actually almost tastes like barbecue Fritos, but almost as if like as if barbecue Fritos were like cooked on a grill. I guess it's it's very very odd, um, but they weren't they weren't bad. Like I uh, we we definitely like um like you know munched on them more than just like trying a chip and then putting them away. Um, so, so yeah, so so, the, so basically you're eating pieces of blue. The wrapper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we actually joked about that because it does make it seem like they cooked blue and turned her into these potato or these corn chips that are flavored like steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Trader Joe's uh, has the these uh, crunchy cinnamon squares chocolate bars that are ba- it's basically a chocolate bar with cinnamon toast crunch pieces inside of it, and they're really good. They're a little bit more cinnamony than I was anticipating, but it's still a really good mix of like that that cereal flavor and, and the chocolate that's, um, it's a nice, you know, like dessert snack kind of thing. And then, um, have any of you guys seen, um, Edgar Wright's a fistful of fingers? Yes. Okay. So I, or I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen the whole movie. Oh, okay. So, well, so you might, so you might understand, um, in the movie, there is a, a part of it where the uh, UK candy bar that is called a Milky Bar uh, is is featured. And I won't say how or why because uh, Edgar Wright has said on Twitter that the movie is supposed to be coming out on Blu-ray and DVD sometime in the, in the near future. So you'll be able to see that for yourself and I would rather not spoil it. Um, but because of that, I always, I've always been interested in actually trying a Milky Bar. It's something that is – it's a, a UK um, candy bar. It's white chocolate. I've always just wanted to try one. And it really is just a white chocolate bar, as like in the same way that a Hershey's bar is a milk chocolate bar, a Milky bar is just a white chocolate bar. But it was it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I wish that America was a little bit more friendly to white chocolate because I do enjoy it whenever they have new candy bars with it. Very cool. And then, yeah, and then the last thing was uh, the Seven Eleven has these exclusive Jones sodas flavors that they get every now and then, and they just released a new one that is white mystery Airheads flavored. And I actually learned um, just recently that apparently the White Mystery Airheads um, is named as such because it's actually just like the leftover batch of Airheads when they're making one batch and switching over to the other that they it's like flavors that are mixed together from what they were making before and they just make it white and call it mystery so that they can market it as like, ooh, what flavor is it? And it's because it's usually a mix of, you know, two of the flavors that they make at the factory. Um, and so the, the soda flavor is, uh, you can't really figure out what the flavor is. Um, it's, it just tastes like a sugary soda and like, it's, it, it, it doesn't have like, it's not a thick soda, but it feels like it is because of how sugary and sweet it is. And it's just, it was not very pleasing to my taste buds. <laughs> Interesting. So what was the flavor? What do you think the flavor was? I haven't, I honestly don't know. Cause like. Knowing how they actually create the real white mystery airheads, I'm not sure how they went about creating the Jones soda flavor for it. It was, it was honestly just a generally sweet flavor. Interesting. Usually, when I had them, it tasted either like cherry or apple, but I've not tried this Jones soda flavor. Uh, but we, as we were running, we're very long. Let's uh, let's get to our last and final segment, and that's what we've been playing. Jacob, what have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing a mixture of video games and board games, but mostly video games because I have been sitting on a couch for a week high on medicine. Uh, First of all, I decided when I bought my Xbox One uh, a few weeks ago to try out some uh, Xbox exclusive game because I've been a PS4 owner for years. So I've been playing uh, Forza Horizon 3, which is a racing game. It's a racing series that's been exclusive to Microsoft consoles for a while now. 
And the Forza series, uh, it was two of them. It was Forza Horizon and Forza Motorsport. So Forza Motorsport is very realistic simulation racing uh, with accurately recreated racetracks around the world. Forza Horizon is more of an open-world playground of racing where the car physics is still realistic. You still can upgrade your cars in ways that are realistic and will like get gearheads excited. But people like me who want to drive around a recreation of Australia, crashing into things, ramping off of bridges and causing ruckus, it's really fun and a really polished uh, entertaining game that sort of scratches the itch I needed from a racing game right now, which is something that's more realistic than Mario Kart, but not um, realistic enough to be like a simulation game that requires me to actually drive like I'm actually driving. So that was fun. And I also, when I was at a, uh, when I was sick at a party last week at the 4th of July, uh, all, when everybody wanted to do something and um, nobody wanted to actually get up and <laughs> go to a table or exert any effort, we broke out uh, the Jackbox games. I don't know if anybody's played these before, but they're available on Nintendo Switch, PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox, and they're from the company that used to make the old You Don't Know Jack trivia games uh, from back in the day. And they're essentially I used to love each... those. Oh, yeah, and these are the same energy, the same type of humor. And there's four packs now. Each pack has five different games. And they're party games, trivia games, um, drawing games, and they're all really fun and uh, really great for parties because... You don't need controllers. You open up the game, gives you a link and a code. You go to the link on your phone, and you play the game on your phone. So, like, you can play with your parents and children, and maybe not children because they're a little inappropriate for kids. Uh, but, like, uh, people don't know how to hold a video game controller or don't know how to navigate a PlayStation or an Xbox, but they know their phone. So you can play these really awesome, fun, crowd-pleasing, hilarious games uh, with everybody. Everybody you just whip up a phone, a computer, a tablet, and everybody's automatically playing and having a great time within minutes. Uh, and they're all, I think, like $19.99 and $25 for each pack of games. And I have all four of them scattered across various consoles. How much uh, replayability is it? Because that's the thing I worry about, those kind of uh, game show video games, is they'll be asking, like, the same questions. And Well, uh, since e- each game, each pack has, you know, five different games, um, they're all very different. Some are trivia games, and some are um, very different tri- than trivia, like sort of... Um, uh, guess who's liar type games or create brackets and pick winner type games. So um, the variety is huge. And even in games where there could be repetition, like the trivia ones, I've yet to see the same thing twice. And in the event that I did, uh, there's still at this point 20, 25 more games in the Jackbox series that I can keep on playing. So I've yet to encounter repetition. And I've played, and this is like the, my go to party game. If everyone's at a party and everybody's tired and wants a way to wind down, th- these games come out. And Everybody's had a great time with them, and and Peter, if, if if there is a, a time when you run out of questions and start looping over again, I have yet to see it. Yeah, they're they're really fun. I I I've played them uh, at parties with friends too, and from what I know, I actually think that I think that they do updates for the game so that they do add new questions, and then there you can also um, there are users that submit questions that they use from time to time. So I think it's something that is constantly updated, and their pool must be large enough that they're they're are rarely repeats unless you're playing like for hours every day. Cause I, I haven't gotten any repeats either. And the other cool thing about some of those games is that some of the fun is because of how the players play the game, because some of it is getting a question and then you coming up with like an answer and trying to get people to choose your answer. And it's, it's really, it's a lot of comedy and like good laughs come, come from it too. Yeah. It's, it's really great. And uh, Peter, next time we're in the same room, uh, you know, I'm bringing my Nintendo Switch to Comic Con. We're gonna play. We're gonna play some Jackbox. Uh, that's the thing we're gonna do. That is the deal. We 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 could do it at, in line. Yes, for all age. Yeah. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Uh, and finally, um, a few weeks ago, I talked about um, trying to finish my Netrunner collection. The card game is going out of print, and I managed to do it. I, I have all of Netrunner. I have them all organized in the binders. Everything's all complete, complete and labeled and organized, and I love it. And now I've embarked on my next quest, which is to um, complete and organize my Game of Thrones card game collection, which is the same company, Fantasy Flight Games, another uh, collectible card game using the worlds and characters of Westeros, based on the books, not the show. So it has a lot of really good original art and really fun gameplay. And so that's my next uh, job, is to binder up all my Game of Thrones cards. So next time you hear from me, I will probably have like 10 binders of Game of Thrones cards. Um, Okay, let's uh, talk... Lastly, with Brad, what have you been playing? Yeah, so I haven't actually gotten a chance to uh, unbox and play this yet because um, it, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, for me to figure everything out. But I was at Walmart the other day, and I, I happened to catch 
the Lego Dimensions on the shelf in the video game aisle, and the price tag on it said $15, and I was like, there's no way that's right, because that's supposed to cost $50. And I know Lego Dimensions is defunct now, so there have been some discounts, but I have never seen it that low before. And sure enough, I checked, and the Xbox One starter pack of Lego Dimensions that is usually $50 was only uh, $15. So I picked it up, and there were a bunch of expansion packs that were nearby that were only $6 each. So I picked up the the Gremlins uh, expansion pack, E.T., uh, Ghostbusters, Bo, um, the one with Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and also the, the new Ghostbusters reboot story pack that was also on sale. And so I bought stuff that should have cost like $125. I got it all for like $50 from Walmart. You can get a lot of those games like Disney Infinity and that for a high discount now. Uh, uh, my girlfriend Kitro was playing that for some time. And I, I think that game didn't get as much buzz as it should have gotten. Uh, one of the only negatives to it, Brad, I think you'll see this, is that during the game, you actually have to kind of move the figures on the game uh, display uh, very often. Like It's not like Disney Infinity where you just put them there and then never touch them again for that game um and the cord for the display is, does not go that far from the tv so if uh you have to be kind of close to the tv uh which is kind of a pain kind of kind of the nes uh mini problem as well interesting okay yeah. but um yeah uh, i'm curious to see what you think of it i i love some of the uh kind of mashup stuff that the game does it's, it's it's a lot of fun but uh this brings us to the end of today's slash film daily we've gone way overboard so i'm not gonna even do the goodbyes today uh this podcast can be found on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your questions comments concerns to peter at slash film.com and please go rate and review this podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow